Hey everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Liberation Bible Study. Welcome to a special backlog bonus. As you may know, we host our conversations live on More Light Presbyterian's Facebook page on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. We started going live on Facebook just one week into our COVID-19 lockdown in March of 2020, but I never released those episodes on the podcast with everything else going on. However, I want to make sure those conversations are included in the podcast too. So I'll be releasing a bonus episode of content recorded the same week just one year ago. While some of the context may have shifted, the liberation possibilities from scripture remain the same. Please enjoy. So today we have a um, kind of fun experiment that we're doing that we are taking the podcast of Liberation Bible Study um, live on Facebook. And for some of you who've gotten to hear Liberation Bible Study, it's a podcast where we seek to reconnect to the deep roots of resistance, to status quo, to empire, and vision for liberation that biblical texts offer. I'm your host, Alex Patchen-McNeil, and on this podcast, we feature conversation partners who bring an intersection of identities as LGBTQIA plus folks or people of color, those who are activists, theologians, and pastors. We want to bring our whole selves into the conversation. So we're experimenting today with a more interactive conversation to be able to include those of you who might be tuning in on Facebook. So hello. Um, I know that the past few weeks have been really taxing for all of us um, as we've been navigating very uncertain waters of systems change, upheaval of worry and fear about our health and our community's health. So we hope that today's conversation can offer you a moment of respite, of reconnection, and a space of spiritual nourishment um, to fuel your well of resilience. So welcome and thank you for joining us. And for today's episode, I'm so thrilled to have with me Reverend Jess Cook, who is More Light's Program and Communications Manager. I know you've seen their face on this page many times. But today we're going to be reading this week's lectionary text of Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 1 through 14, through the themes of grief and waiting. Jess, welcome. Thank you for trying this out with me. Yeah, I'm that, yeah, thanks. I'm glad we're on board to do it. There's something nice about being able to just hop on and try a thing. So I'll be your guinea pig any day. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's kind of get into it. Um, and in our podcast episodes, it's our practice to introduce ourselves, our pronouns, our work, and our identities, because we know that these always show up whenever we're engaging with these texts. So Jess, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, my name is uh, Jess Cook. Uh, my pronouns are they, them, and I am Program and Communications Manager for More Light Presbyterians, and I am a, an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church uh, USA. I identify as a genderqueer, um, non-binary, uh, trans, um, and white. Um, I am also a parent of a six-year-old child, which comes in, I think, to play in these particular times, um, who splits, who splits um, time between this house and 
um, and another um, evenly. So that's also been a new, um, I think the, the particulars of, of having a kid feel, feel relevant at this, at this time as well. Um, I live in Richmond, Virginia. At this point, um, able-bodied, feel well, make it a day at a time. Yes, absolutely. I think that this moment, particularly with the COVID-19 coronavirus, has reminded all of us um, the fragility of health and um, ability and noticing the thin line, um, which is ever present, but in particular, this is bringing it to the surface. So I appreciate you naming and including that within your definition of self, Jess, thank you. Um, so just to introduce myself quickly, my name is Reverend Alex Patchen McNeil. My pronouns are he and him, and I serve as the executive director at More Light Presbyterians, giving to support individuals and congregations in the work for liberation and abundance and inclusion around LGBTQIA folks' identities. Um, my personal identity is one as a white, uh, transgender man born and raised and now living back in the South, um, which impacts more than I ever thought <laughs> um, around how I've been raised and how I understand the world in all the ways. I am partnered and have been married for eight years. And one thing that's been really interesting to note as the years go on is the ways in which my identities as a queer person were formed in the years before and after rights and recognition started to be added to um, the experience LGBTQ folks have. And sometimes I notice that part of my role in this movement um, and in this work is telling the story of more light and telling the story of before and after legal policy and polity changes happen. So I've been noticing that more and more in um, my experience of the work and what I bring to the texts and my understanding of where God is calling us. We're excited to have you join us. If you're watching and you want to share some of your name and pronouns and identities, we'd love to um, see who's here and continue to add you into this community. The way that we uh, typically do this conversation is um, we call it Lectio Divina with a twist, which is the practice of Lectio Divina traditionally is in reading a biblical passage through three times and asking different questions each time you read and seeing what sparks conversation. We added a slight twist to that to really ask some specific questions of the text. But the first time we read it through, we're really um, doing it kind of in an open-ended way and looking to see what sparks our interest, what stands out to us as we read the passage. Jess and I will have some conversation about that, but we'd also invite you as you hear this through the first time to kind of share in the comments, if you'd like, what stands out. Jess, um, I'd like to invite you to read it through the first time. So this is Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 17. So I'm reading from a common English Bible, just in terms of, of translation, if that's helpful. Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones. The Lord's power overcame me. And while I was in the Lord's spirit, the Lord led me out and set me down in the middle of a certain valley. It was full of bones. The Lord led me through them all around. And I saw that there were a great many of them on the valley floor and they were very dry. 
The Lord asked me, human one, can these bones live again? I said, Lord God, only you know. The Lord said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims to these bones, I am about to put breath in you and you will live again. I will put sinews on you, place flesh on you and cover you with skin. When I put breath in you and you come to life, you will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied just as I was commanded. There was a great noise as I was prophesying, and then a great quaking, and the bones came together bone by bone. When I looked, suddenly there were sinews on them. The flesh appeared, and then they were covered over with skin, but there was still no breath in them. Lord said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, human one. Say to the breath, the Lord God proclaims, come from the four winds, breath, Breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. I prophesied just as the Lord had commanded me. And when the breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet, an extraordinarily large company. The Lord said to me, human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely finished. So now prophesy and say to them, the Lord God proclaims, I am opening your graves. I will raise you up from your graves, my people, and I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, my people. I will put my breath in you and you will live. I will plant you on fertile ground and you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is what the Lord says. I'm curious, Jess, for you, as you were reading through, what really caught your attention in this first reading? I think just now the things that actually stood up for me or stood out for me are the number of times graves shows up in the, right. in the particularly toward the end in a way that I hadn't I hadn't, I mean, I read this, I actually read this passage yesterday uh, with a friend who we're kind of just getting together to talk about the Bible together. And we were talking about this text. And yesterday, I, you know, I was struck even in reading it and sort of thinking about even just this approach of, of reading scripture. I was struck by how often we, the, the human is called to ask, to act. The person is called to act um, and to speak in a way. And that then we will know like that, that the evidence of sort of, of God's, God being God is through this, um, the graves being opened. But just now, um, all I read was, I think I just, graves was what stood out more and more. The thing that caught my attention right away this time was that the word certain valley, it was a very specific valley that Ezekiel was set down in. And then when God asks Ezekiel the question, like, can these bones live again? Ezekiel says, only you know. And I, I hear in that a deep sigh of discouragement, like just the, the vastness of what is before him, the pain and grief of what he's seeing. And like with, in the face of such overwhelming evidence, 
I think Ezekiel's right to say only you know God, um, because it's way bigger than Ezekiel could ever do on his own. Um, and I'm curious if for you, some of the images of the graves plays into that. Yeah, well, I had, um, I had a, a Hebrew professor who, who had this really wonderful way of, of making students fall in love with Hebrew in seven weeks, which I think is a feat. So shout out to Carson Brisson. Uh, but, but we talked about this, this passage um, at one point, and I, I won't ever forget him talking about the Hebrew word saviv, that is this almost sounds like a bee. And he's talking about it. And he said, this, this, this valley and these bones are so dry that even a fly buzzing around looking for a morsel to eat would go away hungry. And I think that like, it, it feels like, like I know that the Lazarus text is another text for, for today. And, um, and I, I believe Lazarus is dead for three days, right? Like, so it's like, he's really dead. Right. There's this idea that like saying with, with Jesus, like, like three days is symbolic, like they, they're really like dead. And and I feel like within this in the graves in a similar way, like dry, like dry, you know, like arid, like this idea that there is there is not a shred of anything that we can a shred of life that we can really grab onto in these in this in this valley of bones. And I think that, yeah, I think it connects very much. Yeah, like the utterness, like it's utter destruction. It's like, I think there's a lot of biblical, like words in Hebrew and, and ancient languages of like the completeness of, of it. There's nothing left. It's all gone. I think that to me shows the, the gap between what Ezekiel's seeing and then what God is asking Ezekiel to prophesy about, like from nothing, from complete lack, now suddenly these bones are going to live. You know, we've talked a lot about exponential rates of uh, viral transmission and a lot lately in thinking of statistical graphs. And I think the statistical graph between these dry bones and life is exponential and, and very far apart. I really resonate with in a lot of moments. Um, clearly, I'm, I'm not Ezekiel, but I think we face those kinds of dry places in our life where it feels completely lost, completely gone. Yeah. And I think a lot of us are still are, are still adjusting to the reality. I got a text from um, from my ex um, this morning that my um, that our son, um, you know, woke up at 430 this morning and, and got sick. Um, and and, you know, like that, that people have said that the virus that, that sort of stomach nausea, you know, nausea or diarrhea is, a, is his first sign. And I had this moment where like, I think he's, he doesn't have any fever. He is, has a whole lot of energy and a whole lot of excitement, but, but she said that she went into his room. She heard him kind of moaning at about four 30 and he went in and said, um, said, I don't have the virus, but I just couldn't help it. And he thrown up. And, um, and I think there was something about that, that, that struck me because like, he's got this anxiety, right. And, and they're making schedules and he, you know, he's moving through, but he's trying to make sense of it in a way. And I think that that for me was a moment where it's easier to consider for me what, what I'm going to do for me, right? Or what, um, if my mom is sick, right? What I'm going to do for my mom and my siblings are sort of rallying. And there's something about, you know, about my kid, not even more getting sick, but how he holds anxiety. He's doing the best he can, like we all are. And, uh, but I think there's something about about where we 
where we are right now that there's no, there's not a blueprint for this, right? And these particular circumstances. So it's sort of funny. We keep, you know, we, we were talking the other day about getting, getting emails from folks saying, oh, this is how to do this. And it's like, nobody knows how to do this. Like nobody has been through a global pandemic in this time and age. <laughs> like nobody knows how to do this. And so I don't, I'm thinking also about how Ezekiel in this moment, like, it's like, how do we look at the reality of the situation? And to how do we see this scenario in a way that says like, all right, like these dry bones are going to dance, right? I mean, they're going to, they're going to come together. And, um, and I think that, that there is the grief that is a very much a part of that. And I'm thinking about Jan Edmiston who shared a post earlier this week about like that, that moment will come when you're left and you, and you, you, you wonder how long it's going to be before you're able to hug someone and you wonder how long this is going to be. And you sort of hit this moment. And she said like those moments kind of have to happen because those are the moments when we allow ourselves to see more beyond ourselves. We see our need for one another, which I think, I think queer folks have learned how to do in different ways. And I think that's something we've gotten from our, our, our queer parents and grandparents in terms of like, how do we survive through this situation in a way? Mm -hmm. um, but I think like, that's the thing I keep coming back to is like, and I realized I just tossed out my kid and I talked about queer history and I talked about hope. And so like, it's like, and I really, like they're all connected. Yeah. yeah. And it, yeah. Yeah. That's really, I really, I think in this moment of deep uncertainty, there are, mirrors for us around how are we doing how how are our kids processing this like it's kind of our barometer i guess more than a mirror even like i know i'm anxious if i'm having stress dreams about like covid prepping <laughs> like when i first started watching the show lost the first couple of episodes of lost where they're like on the island um for the first time and they don't know what to do i would have dreams about trying to find a water source and trying to build a shelter. And like, I would like complete the story in my head before I got to the next episode. And I found myself doing that in these first few days of kind of internalizing what's going on and trying to take in the scale of how long this will be. Um, I was having a bunch of dreams about like, just various ways of preparing, which I think is my body's way of trying to like find some semblance of control. And I think that really relates to what you're saying in this text around Ezekiel had to see it first. And I was thinking of a question as you were, as you were sharing what you were just were around, do you think Ezekiel needed to believe the bones could live again? And I kept looking back to the text to see if there I could find any evidence that Ezekiel believed the bones could live again. But I can't necessarily find that because what I think Ezekiel says is only you know God. Like, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than what I could do on my own um, because he's taking in the full scale of what it is, like appreciating the scale of what's being asked of him. Um, I think... I'm never going to be the one to find the water source on Lost, you know, like, and I can't save us from a pandemic just by like prep <laughs> dreams. 
but I think that's my way of appreciating the scale of what's being asked of us in this moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I realize there are other other questions that we are going to sort of go to, so I don't want to get us. Yeah, I, I think this is a good moment to to shift, and I think we should move into the second um, the second reading. And I'm happy to read it for us this time. In the second reading, we're listening for how this text calls us to resistance. And I'll just pause before we jump into that. You know, this podcast was born in in the in the years following the last presidential election where many activists and LGBTQ folks and people were feeling deeply demoralized, Um, like our work had been for naught. And I led a workshop like this, uh, using this format in a a group of LGBTQ folks who've been faith activists for a long time, where we had coming in days after the election. And so we we turned back to the biblical texts and, and reading it from this idea of there is something about resisting empire, resisting status quo, resisting supremacy of any kind that regrounds us and reminds us what we're working for. And so we read this text in that spirit and looking for any clues um, for that. And then I also acknowledge that sometimes the noticing is in the resistance in ourself as we hear the message. Sometimes it's an internal, what am I being challenged by? So I offer two ways of reading this that have emerged over the years. And, and so Jess, you and I will listen to what calls out for us around resistance. I will read this time, Ezekiel 37, one through 17 from the New Revised Standard Version. Let us ground ourselves to, to hear. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, Prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. 
Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. So I'm curious, Jess, as you heard that a second time, thinking about this theme of resistance, what spoke to you? I think the most, the most profound thing that, or sort of the thing that sort of jumped out at me the most is, um, is resisting the temptation into nihilism. I mean, you know, like resisting the temptation to, even as I hear this text, I recognize the, the complexity. Like I can go here, if future, right? I can recognize the complexity of this land, right? What it means to speak of this land in this particular passage. And I can recognize the complexity of what happens when, when we can get ahead of ourselves, right? And that can be when we can get ahead of ourselves and forget that we are not, it's not all of us who are in this. And it can also be when we get ahead of ourselves and forget that we are not, that we are all in this. And I realize that's different and that may, may make no sense, but I realize like that we actually, there is this multitude there. And that, you know, so often when we talk about scripture and when we talk about worship and we talk about how to be the people of God in the world, you know, there is this certain element and this challenge to, to trust and that, um, that God will be God in a way. Um, and, that, and that we are actually given and, and share this spirit um, among ourselves and that the most active thing we can do in the face of overwhelming oppressive circumstances is to is to live into who we are and to recognize our interconnectedness and and you know it's like this multitude of voices and that noise of of the clattering of the bones as they are coming together that that makes a noise and that that is also a sound that had to have sounded so beautiful for Ezekiel this idea of what it is it's like what what it is to hear someone say their own name and to say it with confidence. And I think, you know, to say that, and I think how else, how else can we, how can we live together? I mean, I think the togetherness is there. And I think in the face of, of whatever circumstances um, seek to, whatever ways or circumstances that, 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 that are tempting us with this scarcity, that, that, that our refusal to give up on abundance is um, is actually one of the most robust ways we can resist. Yeah, that we can resist, right? So this this refusal to be delineated into parts of ourselves, right? And so this refusal to to be delineated or broken up into us versus them, and this refusal to say that if I am caring for my needs right now, I am not going to care for yours. And that those those things don't actually act that way. And so, so there is this this way to also like refuse to give in to this sort of despair. And in those moments, to say like, what do I need? And sometimes I need to read scripture. Sometimes I need to text someone and to say like, I'm struggling with this. And and can I hold it right? But those 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 activities that that um, that recognize our abundance, I think, is one of the strongest elements. Um, that, that gives fuel for resistance for me. So. Mm. 
What about you? Well, just want to respond to something you just said that I hadn't quite put in this way is this idea of like paying attention to the multitude um, that these bones rise as one. It wasn't as if God went bone, like per, like bone to bone to bone. It was like a collective process happening at once, it seems. And one act of resistance that's deeply grounding for me is p paying attention to the multitude and the ways in which, especially in this moment of, of global pandemic, watching the multitude care for each other, um, watching, you know, the ways in which we're connected as like to our healthcare workers, to our um, grocery store employees, to our restaurant folks, to, like the health and wealth and well-being of any one of those industries and individuals within that is deeply connected to our community survival. And I don't know if we'd ever seen such an example of that. Um, and someone, a friend of mine posted, like they got a, uh, a takeout order and it came with a <laughs> roll of toilet paper. And um, <laughs> I think that's, that's, that's community caring for the multitude. Um, and that, to get through this dry place we're in, it's gonna require us to be even more uh, attentive to where one part of the multitude is suffering. Um, I think that what I noticed in terms of resistance and my call to resistance is the mentality, resisting the mentality of the all at once, like this has to happen immediately um, what I notice in this text is that there's, there is a process by which these bones are knit back together. It's not just God commanded it and it happened. It was first the bones had sinew and then flesh, and, but there was no breath. And then they were alive, but they had like no soul, it almost seemed like. Like they were alive, but they weren't living. Um, and... I think that there's a temptation that I have to watch for, and in particular, I think this moment is calling us to, is it's this, we're in a process. We're not in a, we stay home for one day and suddenly everything's okay. Um, we're in a step-by-step -step moment, um, a slowing down and noticing the process it takes to create community, to create the multitude, to create systems of well-being. And I, I think we can, find our place within that and see where we're called to act or engage within that. But I am hearing a call to myself to trust the process, um, which isn't to say trust the system and isn't to say trust the status quo, but that we cannot achieve liberation in a one fell swoop. It's a step-by-step -step moment to moment action that requires us to continue to prophesy, to continue to um, be remade, to continue to invite breath into ourselves. Um, and I think that's something that I know many of us have been wrestling with, like how long is this gonna go on? Um, yeah, yeah. And we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. Um, but can this process be one of reconnecting the multitude? I think 
what I'm the question I've been hovering on for myself is what is this teaching me? Not like what's the silver lining, what's the like happy thing, but like what am I learning? What do I need to unlearn? Um, and one of the things that I'm both learning and unlearning is the the need for process and intentionality and step by step, not the expectation that it's just like push the button and it's done. Right. Well, and that also plays into norms of of, of whiteness, which we talk about a lot in terms of, of values and, and values of, of this idea that there is uh, results oriented in a very specific kind of way, and also um, the urgency that happens there. Um, as I've been thinking about the time in the world, we talk about this a lot also, even just with, with one another in terms of being in the midst of this kind of reformation moment that we're in and realizing that 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 it takes time. You know, we are experiencing things day to day that that historically we'll look back on in a very particular way. But if we think about it over years or over days, then thinking about what are the parts of our individual bones that have been put together? Where have we experienced our own individual, individual sort of uh, being like construction, reconstruction, re, you know, um, resuscitation in a way and then and how is that also then tied to our collective you know but that these things take time and that we we see and experience them from one day to the next and 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 so i think trying to to get a a wider view of things and to realize this is the moment we are in and we don't know how long this moment is going to last Uh, but we know that we have today and right now where we are and um and we know when we have the capacity to offer and to share and also when we have need to ask. And I think it's, it's kind of balancing, balancing that together. But yeah, the wider, the wider view is, um, has been helpful for me to, to remember um, even just on those daily moments when things feel a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, um, I, I feel like it's a moment to move into our, our third reading and conversation around what vision for liberation does this text offer? So Jess, would you like to uh, read it for the third time for us? Sure. The Lord's power overcame me. And while I was in the Lord's spirit, the Lord led me out and set me down in the middle of a certain valley. It was full of bones. The Lord led me through them all around, and I saw that there were a great many of them on the valley floor, and they were very dry. The Lord asked me, human one, can these bones live again? I said, Lord God, only you know. The Lord said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims to these bones, I am about to put breath in you and you will live again. I will put sinews on you, place flesh on you, and cover you with skin. When I put breath in you and you come to life, you will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied just as I was commanded. There was a great noise as I was prophesying, then a great quaking, and the bones came together bone by bone. When I looked, suddenly there were sinews on them. The flesh appeared, and then they were covered over with skin. 
but there was still no breath in them. The Lord said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, human one. Say to the breath, the Lord God proclaims, come from the four winds, breath, breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. I prophesied just as the Lord commanded me. When the breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet, an extraordinarily large company. The Lord said to me, human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely finished. So now prophesy to them and say to them, the Lord God proclaims, I am opening your graves. I will raise you up from your graves, my people, and I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, my people. I will put my breath in you and you will live. I will plant you on your fertile land and you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is what the Lord says. What vision for the work of liberation did you see in this text, Jess? The friend I was talking to yesterday when we were talking about this text said, you know, was moved by the, the part, verse 12, the second part of verse 12. It says, I will raise you up from your graves, where we're being told to say, I will raise you up from your graves, my people. And this message of proclamation that, that my friend said, you know, that's really, um, that's the work of ministry, isn't it? To sort of speak into, I mean, I think like the, the, to sort of speak in the face of despair and to say like, I'm going to raise you up and, um, and God is going to, you know, whatever, however we understand God, right. That, that, that you are going to like to look at, look at a mountain of bones or a valley of bones and to say like, we will find life is, um, is remarkably liberating, as daunting as it is, right? But this idea that that we are we are talking about, um, even that we're here doing this right now, right? That I mean, and this is something that we actually do. We're just doing it on Facebook now, right? But I think the idea that that the need for that 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 proclamation that looks in the face of such despair and woe and says, "This is where we will see life." to me is, is, is remarkable, gives me remarkable strength for the work of liberation because it allows me to remember, um, and to remember, I think also to remember that, that, that God will continue being God. And we can have conversations about the Odyssey and we can have conversations about all of those things. And also that, 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 that we, are invited and challenged and I would say at this moment like very strongly encouraged until we say yes right to see life come out of out of despair and um and to and to see our interconnectedness and to see the ways in which we are abundant together even in the face of such such circumstances and that to me gives me remarkable strength for the work of liberation and feels really freeing in a way. Yeah. You know, we're in this moment in the season of Lent where we're asked to truly face 
despair, to truly face destruction, to truly face death. I'm struck by the the image of Ezekiel being led all the way through the bones. Like, you're going to see all of them. You're not just going to, like, take a quick look and then cover your eyes again. Um, But to really take that in. Because I think liberation comes not from, like, like, not from never suffering or never experiencing grief, but liberation is that place where you've, you've, you've accepted, you've, you've been through the stages of grief and now you're in a place of, and like, and there's more, there's, there's life on the other side. There's um, something that's calling me to the other side. And I was really struck in this passage by the abundance of life like the definition of what life is, that it's not just being a body, it's not just being stood up, but that it's having breath in you from the four winds. It's being in in a home, in a land, in a place. It's having people. And I think that sometimes the work for rights and justice can be focused on one, one element at a time. Like if we just had this, we just had that. And that's really important because I think that um, you can't live without certain rights and recognition. But the real big vision is beyond just that individual one at a time. It's, it's a full life. And to hold fast to that, even in the face of scarcity and death and, and what feels like um, a long road to get there, to me, is a vision for the work of liberation. That my job is to co, co-work with God around a fullness of, of what life possibly could be um, in community, in the kingdom of God. Um, and I think many times we're told as activists and as, as people of faith, like, well, isn't this enough? You know, um, and to not, to not accept that, that you know, one, one community thriving at the suffering of another community is life, um, that life is a multitude. And that we, it is possible to, for all communities to thrive. And that does require those communities who have benefited, um, and ours in, as well, you know, I mean, I think in particular, but like, you know, that have benefited on the backs of others, that is not, that is not, that is not what we are called to. And I think, um, and I think there's also something in the, in the fragility of, 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 of us. Like, I think there's something within this that like the fragility of like, of the, the bones and the bodily aspects. I mean, I think throughout scripture, you have these people who are called to, to sort of speak to, to whatever and to do God's work. And I think this is the, the case for us here as well. Like, I mean, I think all people who feel called to do this work of ministry, you know, that it is, um, it is in our, it is in our finite humanity that we are called to do that work and we are we are not we are not and and i think that's also how we see um and not to not to i'm going to sort of read this through uh, my own christian understanding of the body of christ so not that ain't what this is talking about but reading this through that and sort of recognizing like what is it to really experience those moments when we are weary and when someone has just the thing we need to offer that step that structure, that float, and we get to do that as well. But how we all we all have this this um, this challenge and this call and this invitation to actually speak to that in in our bodies, in in our in our in our in our fragile 
um, messy human bodies. And, um, and that, that, that is going to bring up a whole lot of discomfort for folks in different ways. I think if anybody at this point is like, oh, no, I'm chill, I'm good, then it might be worth examining your own surroundings to see I mean, that's cool. Um, and I think there's, but like, what you doing? Um, I realize that I'm bringing myself back in that, but I think, I think there's something about it that is, um, that is this invitation to continue together. And that there is that, that combination of the, the, the whole and the parts which make it up, which cannot exist without one another. So to recognize that we are all necessary parts of this larger picture um that that comes into play as well for me yeah I, I think um one one thing that i'm i'm noticing is where can i offer a sense of a greater life for somebody else like a depth of life um in community like i yesterday i delivered a um macaroni, a cauliflower macaroni and cheese dish to my sister and her husband who work in the healthcare industry. And um, I had no expectations about what would happen, but I, I brought it over. I like, you know, we, we met in a socially distant way. And as, as I was giving this to them, they offered me some chicken that they picked up from, from a, a store down the street. And um, I was like, wow, like, I, like accepting that abundance was an invitation to me to experience a fuller life so I can offer that to others. Um, to then, you know, go to my parents' house and then drop off more things to them. Like, I don't know, it was this interesting system yesterday of like, this is what community care looks like in a micro way. Um, and I think I see a lot of places and entities that are doing that in a bigger way way like how can I donate to a mutual aid um, in my community organization or um, is there someone I could send a roll of toilet paper to who needs it or you know it's, it can be so simple but the life it offers um, is enriched so I want to just be mindful of our time and just one thing we close our conversation with on this podcast is to think about what's one thing that we're uh, taking with us as a result of our conversation? I think the reminder to, to be in process and to let myself be in process and to not candy coat things to also say like, and to also to not candy coat and also to not, um, and that it's all, like also to, to continue hope in that way and active embodied living in in the world in a way but i think that there's something about this that feels very real and um and to to just recognize the um to name that and to name that it's 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 all right and that um it's all right to be messy it's all right to be scared it's all right to also be chill it's all right to take a nap you know i mean it's like i don't know it's all right to realize like i've not ever thought about what it is to exist in this particular circumstance and to also recognize that there are other people living throughout the world who, who live in this circumstance all the time and like in, in a particular way, right? So talking about incarcerated folks who have had to live in confined spaces for a long time and, um, and unjust systems which put 
people in prisons and or in detention centers or in, you know, so to recognize that all of that can coexist and come together and that the work that we are being invited to is, is collective um, and individual, but that ultimately it is collective. So it is all, all of us together, but I don't know. I think there's something about just embracing that in a non like overly reductive way, but in a real way, just embracing like the mess of this. And, um, and when fear, anxiety comes, letting it come. And when it, and when um, we have a morsel to share with someone sharing or when we have more, right? So I think it's like, I don't need to be productive. I don't need to be anything but right damn here. <laughs> like that's okay. Yeah. And that in that, that, that is when I am better able to listen and to hear and to speak. Mm. What about for you? something really stuck, struck out to me just now, which is God doesn't accept dry bones as the end of the story and doesn't want to live with dry bones as the reality and that God calls us to help prophesy to those bones, to see and then prophesy and help create a world where all can live. And I, I think the... the reminder to myself that God does not want this for us. And what do we do? How do I, how am I called to act because I see, um, how am I called to prophesy because I see. And, um, I think what I'm going to take with me from this conversation is, is to notice the deeper signs of life. You know, it's not enough just to see that I have, grass outside but that you know that's still kind of dead from winter but there are shoots coming forth um in in like garden areas and um you know how can i nurture that life in others yeah yeah and let it be nurtured in me and yeah. let it be nurtured in you i think that's also the part of it that i think um that is yeah absolutely yeah, we are both Ezekiel and the dry bones. Um, yeah. And that there is a deep need for us to be nurtured and to experience liberation through our communities as much as we want to offer it back. Yeah. Um, it's not just our own act of doing that. Right. One way. Yeah. Well, I thank you so much for being in conversation with me and I thank all the folks who've been watching with us. We invite you back to continue reading with us and finding a vision for liberation that we can carry forward. All right. Thank you all. Bye. Bye.